Innalhamdalillah Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'ufiru Wa na'udhu billahi min syururi anfusina wa sayyiati a'malina Man yahdihillahu falamudillalah Wa man yudlil falahadiyalah Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharika lah Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh Amma ba'd So we're going to start Today with the next section which is Al-Faslu Thani For those following with the copies أَنَّهُ يَجِبُ عَلَى كُلِّ مُسْلِمٍ عَاقِلٍ بَالِغٍ قَادِرٍ That fasting is obligatory upon every Muslim عَاقِل has his senses بَالِغ has reached the age of puberty Qadir has the ability. Fayadukhulu fi hadha. Therefore, upon this definition, upon this definition of every Muslim, Aqil, who has his senses, Balir, upon the age of puberty or above, Qadir, capable, Within those four characteristics enters يَدْخُلُ فِي هَذَا الْمُقِيمِ وَالْمُسَافِرِ وَالصَّحِيحِ وَالْمَرِيضِ وَالطَّاهِرِ وَالْحَائِضِ وَالْمُغْمَى عَلَيْهِ فَإِنَّ هَؤُلَاءَ كُلَّهُمْ يَجِبُ عَلَيْهِمُ السَّوْمُ فِي ذِمَامِهِمْ بِحَيْثْ يُخَاطَبُونَ بِالسَّوْمُ لِيَعْتَقِدُوا الْوُجُوبَ فِي الذِّمَّةِ وَالْعَزْمَ عَلَى الْفِعْلِ إِمَّا أَدَاءً وَإِمَّا قَضَاءً So, Shaykh al-Islam says here, Therefore, based upon those four characteristics, and those four characteristics are every Muslim, Aqil has his intellect, Balir, the age of puberty or above, Qadir, ability, within those four, within that definition, then who enters into that? Every muqim, a person who is resident, not traveling, he's resident at home in his city. Musafir, the one who's traveling, because even a traveler can still be and is a Muslim, aqil, baliq, qadir. So everybody resident, everybody traveling, الصحيح والمريض The person who is healthy and the person who is ill الطاهر والحائض Somebody who is upon purity and the حائض the woman on the period who is upon impurity والمغمى عليه Somebody who is unconscious so what does this mean 
Şeyhul İslam İbnü Teymiyyah has started off by saying or explaining who fasting is obligatory upon. He gave four descriptions of the types of people that fasting is obligatory upon. That it's going to be Muslim, Aqil has his intellect, What's the opposite of all of them? Opposite of Muslim is therefore Kafir, Aqil, somebody with their senses. The opposite is somebody who has Majnoon or the one who has mental disabilities, doesn't have understanding, doesn't have senses like that. Thirdly, the Balir, the one of the age of puberty. Opposite is the one who is less than the age of puberty and Qadir, the one who is therefore able, the opposite, somebody who is unable. So in these four characteristics, which type of people come into them, whom fasting is therefore obligatory upon? Somebody who is resident, somebody who is a traveler, somebody who is healthy, somebody who is ill. Because somebody who is ill, a Muslim if he's ill. So he's Muslim, he is aqil, he's got his intellect, he is balig, age of puberty above, he is qadir, capable. Somebody who's ill, al-marid, qadir. If not now, then potentially soon. We're going to discuss that illnesses is different types. But somebody who's ill, Shaykh al-Islam mentions it for now, somebody who's pure, somebody who's not upon purity, like a woman upon menstruation. But the ha'ith, can she fast? A woman on the period? Bear with it for the moment. And then al-mughma alayhi, the one who's unconscious. But the one who's unconscious is therefore technically in that state, temporarily not aqil. But what Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah is saying with all of those categories, some of which appear to be from the categories who cannot fast, he says all of these categories... It is upon them to fast, either initially as the obligation in its time, or later on to make it up. So some of those people in that category are going to fast ada'an. Initially at the time they're going to fast. Some of them are going to fast Qadaan. Later on they will make it up. But the point is all of them at some stage do have to fast. So somebody who's resident, he's going to fast initially or making up? Initially you fast. Somebody who's a traveler, then he has the choice of being able to fast. Qadaan. Later on making it up. Somebody who's fit and healthy fasts. Initially, ada'an, but somebody who's marid may fast 
qada'an later on, making it up. Somebody who's upon purity fasts, initially ada'an, but somebody who's ha'il, a woman who's upon the period, is going to fast qada'an, making it up later. Al-mughma alayhi qada'an, when he regains consciousness, then he'll be able to make up the days he missed when he was unconscious. So all of these people, Shaykh al-Islam is making the point, all of these types of people are all being addressed with the obligation to fast. They are all being addressed, they are all being pointed out to have to fast, whether initially or making it up later. فَكُلُّ هَؤُلَاءِ نعم فإن هؤلاء كلهم يجب عليهم الصوم في ذمامهم all of these people it is in their their responsibility that burden is upon them they have to take that responsibility of fasting بحيث يخاطبون بالصوم they are all being addressed with the obligation of fasting ليعتقدوا الوجوب في الذمة so that they understand and they believe the obligation of fasting is upon them. And they have that resolute intention to fast. Either initially or making it up afterwards. في نفس الشهر أداء وهو الصحيح المقيم إلا الحائض والنفساء ومنهم من يخاطب بالقضاء فقط وهو الحائض والنفساء والمريض الذي لا يقدر على الصوم أداء وقد يقدر عليه قضاء نعم so from that list of people there are some who it is upon them to fast initially in the month of Ramadan there and then. From that list, they are the Sahih, the person who is well and fit and muqeem and resident. Person who is well and fit and healthy and resident, then he has to fast in the month of Ramadan. Except if a woman is fit and healthy and resident, but on her period, then she'll come into the second category, the ones who are being addressed to fast, but to make them up afterwards. A woman on her period, a woman who's in the postnatal bleeding after birth, or the, the person who is ill and not able to initially fast, he's going to fast making it up afterwards. And there are some in that list who have the choice. They can either fast initially or they can fast later on. Which ones from that list? There was altogether the list was a person who's healthy, a person who's resident, a person who's uh, ill. The, the person who's resident, the person who's a traveler, the person who's healthy, the person who's ill, the person who's pure, the person who's impure, period. The person who's unconscious. 
from that list which ones have a choice. They can fast in Ramadan when Ramadan comes or they can make it up afterwards qada'an. The traveler and the ill person, the unconscious person has a choice. The unconscious person has a choice is the fatwa here. So the only two people who have the choice is the traveler and the ill person who is currently unable to fast. We're going to get to the details of all of those types of things, but briefly, a traveler, what is the brief overall ruling about the traveler? We're going to have to do it this way because, to be honest, we're not going to make huge progress over the sessions we have. So a traveler, what is, in a nutshell, the mas'ala of the musafir when it comes to fasting? Who can, in a nutshell, explain the rulings of Ramadan for a traveler? In a nutshell, you can say that a person who is traveling during Ramadan, then the Sunnah clarifies that a traveler has a rukhsah, has that ease that Allah has given, that you don't have to fast when you are traveling. There is a permission and an ease, the rukhsah, that Allah has given a person who is traveling, they don't have to fast. Of course, we need some evidence for that. We need a bit more explanation about the hadith. He summarized everything to the ayah there. Job done then. So the ayah mentions it. The ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah mentions the traveler and it mentions you can do that you're allowed to do the days from other days. Ayah in the Quran proves it anyway. The hadith that you were mentioning was the hadith when they were going towards Mecca and they stopped en route and when they were going towards Mecca for the conquering of Mecca it was in Ramadan when the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the Muslims left Medina to go back to Mecca when they went to conquer Mecca it was in the year 8 Hijri in Ramadan so when they set out from Medina it was in Ramadan they were all fasting until they got to bonus points what's the name of the place they got to 
before Makkah, on the way. Between Makkah and Medina. Ah, they stopped. Oh, you stopped at the place. Yeah, I can't remember the name. Twenty days ago. Uh huh. So you went Umrah twenty days ago, and you stopped. You saw the place. Kura al Ghamim. Okay, Kura al Ghamim. Okay, so they stopped there, en route from Medina towards Mecca. It's like two, three hundred miles. They stopped en route. Uh, because some of the companions came to the Prophet ﷺ and they told him that the fasting, they were all fasting, traveling in the desert in the heat in those days between like exactly Manchester to London kind of distance. So as they were en route, they came to the Prophet ﷺ and told him, Inna That fasting has become very difficult upon us. It's become very difficult, traveling in the desert, in the heat, all of that. So then the Prophet ﷺ ordered them to bring him a vessel of some liquid, water, milk, some, some liquid. And he drank that in front of everyone to show them that he has opened his fast and he is not fasting because they are travelers. So that is one hadith which shows the ruling of being able to open your fast, not have to fast when you are traveling. Of course, when he did that, then everybody else realized as travelers we don't have to fast. So they all opened their fasts except a group of them. They didn't. And the Prophet ﷺ said about them, Ula'ika. Al-Usat, they are sinners, they are wrongdoers for not having opened their fast as we are travelers. So this hadith shows the permissibility of not fasting when traveling. In fact, it appears to indicate that you have to not fast when traveling because some of them carried on and the Prophet ﷺ did not approve of it. But then there is another hadith. There's another narration where one of the companions came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said to him, Inni ajidu bi quwwatan ala siyami fi safar. That I have strength in me, I can fast even when I'm traveling. So is there any issue? What did the Prophet say to him? It is an ease that Allah has given you. So whoever takes that ease Allah has given you to not fast when you're traveling, then good. وَمَنْ أَحَبَّ أَنْ يَسُومُ But whoever wants to fast, فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْهِ Then there is no issue. So this hadith indicates that if you have the ability, you can fast even when you're traveling. So the narrations are clear about the ease that's been given 
that you don't have to fast when you're traveling. The scholars, they summarized it by saying, if you are a traveler, what's the ruling going to be for you in terms of fasting Ramadan? It depends on you initially. Are you a person who has strength and ability to be able to fast when you are traveling or not? If you do have that strength and ability to be able to fast when traveling, then you have a choice. If you want to just fast so that you don't have days left to make up afterwards, then you can just fast when you're traveling. If you want to take the ease anyway, even though you're capable of fasting, you want to take the ease anyway, you can. But the other type of person, you don't have physical ability to fast when you're traveling. Here the scholars say, you should not try to fast when you're traveling in that case. If you're a bit weak anyway, or you get travel sickness or whatever, if you're that type of person, you haven't really got the ability to fast when traveling anyway, then you shouldn't be making a choice. You should simply not fast when traveling. So that is the issue with traveling. A person with the ability has a choice. Some scholars, they'll say, if you have ability, then the choice you should make is to fast. If you have ability, then fast. Why are you going to leave fasts to make up for afterwards? But other scholars say, if you have ability, still you should take the rukhsa. Some scholars say, take the rukhsa, even if you have the ability. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, هِيَ رُخْصَةُ مِنَ اللَّهِ فَمَنْ أَخَذَ بِهَا فَحَسَنٌ It's a permission Allah has given you, so whoever takes it, that's good. So some scholars say, you should take the permission, even if you're capable. Others say, no, why would you leave obligations as a burden upon your shoulder for later, whereas the Muslim should always strive to fulfill the obligations at the earliest opportunity. So you have a difference between what choice you should make in that scenario. But that is the traveler. The other one who is mentioned as having a choice is the ill person. Who can summarize then the topic of an ill person when it comes to fasting? So when it comes to illness and fasting in Ramadan, there are two types of ill person. There are two types of ill person. One person is ill, as they say in the books of fiqh, لا يرجى It is not expected he will ever recover from that illness to a level where he can ever fast. He's got this illness, it's an illness that is preventing him from fasting, and it's never expected. Doctors don't ever think he will ever recover and get better in the future to a level where he can fast. So his illness is basically permanent. He's never going to be able to fast. Not this year, not next year, not any time in his life, 
Doctors don't expect that he'll ever get well enough at all. That type of ill person his ruling is, he obviously misses fasting then. And what does he have to do? Feed a poor person for every day he misses. He cannot make them up because it's not expected he'll ever recover. So he feeds a poor person for every day he misses. The other type of ill person is somebody who is only temporarily ill. Ill for a few days or a few weeks, but he is expected to get better. It is expected eventually this illness will pass and he will get better and so eventually he will be in a position where he can fast. That type of person doesn't have the option of feeding a poor person for every day. He can miss, but he has to wait until he gets better because his medical condition, it is expected he will get better. So he's got to wait, and when he gets better, inshallah, then he makes up those days. Examples of that, typical examples for most people, a person comes down with the flu during Ramadan. Comes down with a heavy flu during Ramadan, he is incapable of fasting. So he misses a week in the middle of Ramadan. But then obviously after Ramadan, the flu is gone, he's recovered, he's fit and healthy. He now has to make up that week that he missed. He's recovered from his illness, so he's got to make up the week that he missed. So two types of ill person, one that is expected to get better at some point, even if it takes a while. That flu example is a few days. What if somebody has a reasonably long-term illness, but it is expected he'll recover. He gets some illness, something happens. Doctor said to him, your recovery period is six months. You're going to be on this medication, on this treatment, on that. It's going to take about six months. You'll be back to 100% inshallah. So now he misses Ramadan this year, but he can't feed. He's got to wait six months. And when he gets better inshallah, he's going to make up these days. So that's the two type of illness. The only other thing to mention as well is, illness... To what level of illness do you have to have to be allowed to miss fasting? What level of illness do you have to have to be able to miss fasting? Person in the hospital. You know, these days you go to A&E. You go to A&E, a person has cut his finger on the knife, he's sitting there in A&E. And you know, once in A&E, doctor came into A&E. This isn't me or somebody else told me this narration. They were sitting in A&E. Everybody sitting there in A&E, emergency accident, serious thing supposed to be. Doctor comes in, the, the big surgeon comes in, and there's so much people that night. It's busy, so four, five, six hours waiting. He says, listen, waiting room. Everybody stand up. Some people, because of their accident and emergency that they've got it's so severe they can't get up they are in real accident and emergency they can't get up but some of them they could get up they got a bash on their elbow they got this they got that they could stand up he said good all of you who managed to stand up go home <laughs> all of you who managed to stand up you're not accident emergency go home 
So, the criteria they give for the one who is allowed to miss the fasting, the Salaf, they gave some examples. They said, if you're well enough, if you're okay enough to be able to, as we say in the language these days, to pop out to the shops and back, if you're able to do that, you're not in enough to miss fasting. They used to say, if you're good enough to be able to go out quickly to the market or something like that, as we say these days, to pop out to the shops and back, you know, sometimes you're ill, you're lying in bed at home, you got your fever, you got this, you got that, but push comes to shove, you need to get up and get your jacket on, go to the shop and pick up something and come back. They say, if you're good enough to get out of your house and go out and come back, you're not ill enough to miss fasting. Some of the Salaf used to say that. That if you're good enough to get up and leave your home, go out and about and come back, then you're not really ill enough to be missing fasting. That's just a general, general statement some of the Salaf made. But more in terms of the books of fiqh, they say, if you have an illness, that if you fast, it will prolong the recovery period. So normally you've got an illness which would only take a few days to get better. You've got some type of flu, for example. But if you fast, if you fast 18 hours without liquids, etc., doctor, he will tell you 18 hours without liquids for somebody with flu, no good. It may end up taking you longer to get better. It may even cause other complications for certain people in age, etc. So if the illness you've got is going to become longer because of fasting, then that is a reason to be able to miss fasting. I.e. the fasting is going to prolong your illness. Typically you would have got better quicker, but by fasting it's going to end up making you double the time ill until you get better, or longer until you get better. So that is one criteria, if it prolongs your illness. The other criteria they mention is if fasting is going to increase the pain of your illness upon you. Illness obviously causes discomfort and pain. If fasting is going to increase that discomfort and pain, then again, you have the permission to miss fasting. But if you don't really have those, fasting isn't going to really prolong your recovery period. It's not increasing the pain upon you in any way or discomfort upon you in particularly any way. Then in that case, whatever little illness you have isn't really an excuse to be missing fasting. It's not really an excuse to be missing fasting if that illness will not be prolonged due to fasting. It's not going to increase your pain or discomfort in any significant way due to fasting. Then in that case, you should fast. So it's not just a case of, I got a tiny pain I'm going to miss today. I got some small pain in my neck or I got some tiny headache or something like that and I'm going to miss, you can't just miss like that. It's got to be an illness that would prolong if you fasted or increase the pain and the discomfort upon you. And as the Salaf used to say, same as the A&E doctor, if you can get up and you can go out and about, then your illness isn't really severe enough for you to not be able to fast. So a person needs to manage that and need to 
take into consideration what their level of illness really is and as to whether they should be able to miss fasting or not. If it is causing your problem, then miss. Don't go to the extreme that you do actually have some illness and you do have some type of fever, this, that, the other, and you say, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast, I'm going to get through it. And it's causing you more pain and it's making your illness worse, then don't do it. Miss that day, it's allowed. You have the ruhsa from Allah. So that is regarding the one who is ill and the permission that he has, uh, the choice that he has. And that's why Shaykh al-Islam has put it down as a choice. That if a person, he says, المريض الذي يمكنه الصوم بمشقة شديدة من غير خوف التلف He says a person who is ill can manage fasting with some difficulty perhaps but there's no threat of him dying or anything severe like that then that ill person does have a choice but as we said, the rukhsa is there. If your illness is going to prolong or it increases your pain and discomfort and difficulty, you have the choice to miss. Shaykh al-Islam is saying, in that situation though, you do still have the choice. Even if it is going to cause you some pain, maybe prolong your illness by a couple of days, you do have the choice to decide, I'm going to fast if you're able and you can do it. But you have the choice to miss in that scenario too. Then after that, أَنَّهُ لَا يَجِبُ عَلَى الْكَافِرِ He's breaking it down now a bit more, this description. He says, fasting is not obligatory upon the kafir. Because the first condition was Muslim. All acts of worship, the ibadat, are only going to be accepted from a Muslim. A person upon Tawheed, a person upon Islam, now this is disputed by the scholars. Shaykh al-Islam says a kafir not obligatory upon him to fast. Yes. And he is not addressed with fasting. I.e. you don't go up to a kafir and say it's Ramadan, why are you not fasting? He is not addressed to fast. But the scholars do make a point with this. They say... Are the kuffar addressed with the sharia, the rulings of the sharia? Are they to be addressed with the sharia and the rulings of the sharia? Why not uh, doing this, that, the other or not? In essence, yes. In essence, yes. That's why the scholars have given a fatwa. Some of the scholars have mentioned in Ramadan... Imagine now, for example, you got some type of shop, a, a news agent, for example. In Ramadan, a kafir comes in, picks up a Kit Kat, puts it down on the de- on the uh, on your thing, the counter. Are you allowed to sell him that? He walks in. He says, "I need a snack. Let me take a Kit Kat, please." Are you allowed to sell it to him, knowing he's gonna eat? In the day of Ramadan. Sorry, I'm closed. Be back in five. 
For restaurants and takeaways, the scholars have given a fatwa. Muslims should not open restaurants and takeaways during the day of Ramadan. Near to the time of iftar, you could say, okay, because everybody's going to be taking their food for iftar. But during the day, scholars do say, you can't serve Muslims for breakfast and for lunch during Ramadan. You can't. You can't help them to commit sin. Anybody who's not fasting, that's going to be the minority. They can take care of their affairs. They don't need restaurants and takeaways. So the scholars, they say, a Muslim should not open restaurants and takeaways and serve people during fasting, including kuffar. You can't say, okay, but it's just the kuffar I'm going to be serving. Muslims, I'm going to tell them. Kuffar, they come in, I'm going to give it to them. Kuffar, they don't have to fast. Scholars say, no. Because by you serving the kuffar, some of the scholars have given this explanation, it's as though you are saying to them that you're not a Muslim and that's okay, no problem. You, You eat, you're not Muslim, you do what you want, remain upon your kuffar. It's as though you are acknowledging and affirming their kuffar. And you can't do that. So some of the scholars, some of the senior scholars, Lajna Da'im, etc. They said, you can't even serve a kafir during the day of Ramadan. Because if you do, it's as though you're acknowledging and saying, it's okay, you can be upon this kufr, you can miss your Ramadan, you don't have to do any of these things. I'll serve you, eat. And you can't do that. Because the reality is you should be saying to him, accept the religion of Islam. Enter into Islam and fast with me. That's what you should be saying to him. Not, it's okay, you kafir, eat. What do you want from the menu? You cannot do that. That's what the scholars have said. Many of them, the major scholars. So, the point here though, it's you don't say to a kafir, in terms of him being a kafir, why are you not fasting? It's before that. Why are you not Muslim to start with? So the kafir isn't going to be able to fast because he's not a Muslim yet. And if he does fast, it's not going to be accepted so imagine a kafir now, he becomes a Muslim after Ramadan. Does he have to make up that Ramadan now and the Ramadans from before? No, there's no qada upon him. Whether that person was a kafir, born kafir and then he became Muslim, he doesn't have to make up any past prayers and Ramadans and everything of his life before that. He was kafir. Or whether he was an apostate, same ruling. So the kafir, <coughs> It is not accepted from a kafir initially nor later. If a person apostated during the day of fasting, then that day of fasting is nullified for him. Because fasting is an act of worship and kufr, it negates and nullifies ibadah. So, ibadah is an act, uh, fasting is an act of worship, and it is nullified through apostasy.
We'll leave it up to that. Second section. أنه لا يجب على المجنون في المشهور من المذهب نص عليها في رواية الأثرم وفرق بينه وبين المغمى عليه وعليها أصحابنا There is a difference now over this issue of the aqil The aqil is a person who has his intellect, his mental faculties as opposed to somebody who does not have his mental faculties, mentally disabled. There's a difference between that type of person and a person who is unconscious. Because the person who's unconscious may otherwise be a person of intellect. He has his mental faculties, but something's happened, he's unconscious. The one who doesn't have his mental faculties then that person, it is not upon him to do any worship. The one who doesn't have his mental faculties, doesn't understand, cannot make intention, doesn't have that realization. So fasting, and other than fasting, is not obligatory upon him until if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses him and the mental faculties return to him. The evidence for that, رُفِعَ القلم عن ثلاث One of them المجنون حتى يفيق The one without his mental faculties Until he regains them So the one without his mental faculties Then that individual is not obliged to fast But the one who is unconscious He's got mental faculties That's all intact But something's happened He got a knock on the head He's unconscious He's had an accident, a small accident, and he's fallen unconscious. So now he's unconscious for a couple of days. Is he still obligated with fasting? Yes, in terms of having to make it up afterwards when he regains his consciousness. When he regains his consciousness, he's going to make up those days where he was unconscious and therefore could not obviously fast. If a person is fasting and then during the day he loses his consciousness and then regains it in the same day. So now what's the ruling on that day of fasting? But this one, does he have the ruhsa? Al Mughma alayhi, Al Mughma alayhi, you hot up. Would it be akin to sleeping, maybe? Unconsciousness for a temporary time during the day? If he's unconscious, he's not? He's not eaten, so... He's not eaten? No, but the rest of the day then. 
a person falls unconscious in the middle of the day when he's fasting, then regains consciousness. He's doing some DIY, he gets knocked out, an hour later he wakes up. So now that day, does it count or not? No, he's all good. He's all good. He got knocked out. He woke up again. He's all good. Yeah, one minute, two minutes. Continue. Continue. How long was it? An hour. An hour. <laughs> A small knock on the head. An hour. Yeah, because I, I think personally, if somebody got unconscious to be honest, I'm out of recovery, personally, so I'll, if I was not in my case, I would eat that day and recover every time. Oh, well. It depends on the person, so, as you said. All right, that one. You mentioned about uh, comedians like Stoic and Freud and whatnot go through the body, so nothing else going to be of health uh, especially because if you think you have you can later you, you could have more problems no no problems nothing nothing <laughs> just a small shop, yeah? knock and he's okay <laughs> so we we'll leave that one open bring us fatawa of the scholars because you will find them easily everywhere you get these questions to the scholars it's easy to find very easy homework bring us different fatawa of the scholars about somebody who falls unconscious during the day of fasting, then recovers and regains consciousness during the same day, does his fast count? Because the only, or one of the issues that would arise is, during that time when he is unconscious, he, his intention technically is gone which is a bit different to sleeping. When you go to sleep, you go to sleep on the intention of fasting and every you wake up upon fasting, you know what you're doing. You fall unconscious, it's as though your intention now is, where's the niyyah? So is there a period of the day when you never had intention of fasting? And therefore, does that day count or not? We'll leave that one open anyway. Bring us the fatawa of the scholars next week. Insha'Allah, regarding the person who falls unconscious for a short period during the day and then regains his consciousness in that day. Insha'Allah, next week tell us. Give us the fatwa of the scholars next week. So then, Shaykh al-Islam goes on. What time is he here? والقضاء هنا أوجه من قضاء الصلاة وروي عن حنبل أنه يقضيه إذا أفاق كالحائض That a person who goes unconscious will make it up then when he regains consciousness That is an opinion, you still bring the fatawa كالحائض like a woman who is on the period because a woman who is on the period, scholars often say that is the example of somebody who is temporarily ill. 
The maril, the ill person, two types, one you don't expect to recover, one you do. They say a woman who is on the period is like in the same example as a person who is ill but expected to recover. That person can miss those days when he recovers, he makes them up. A woman on the period obviously is expected to exit from that period at some point and therefore later she's going to make up those days. وَالْقَضَاءَ هُنَا أَوْجَهُ مِنْ قَضَاءِ الصَّلَاةِ لِأَنَّمَا أَسْقَطَ أَدَاءَ الصَّلَاةِ فِي الْغَالِبِ فَإِنَّهُ يُسْقِطْ قَضَاءَهَا بِخِلَافِ الصَّوْمِ فَإِنَّهُ يُقْضَى مَعَ الْحَيْضِ وَالسَّفَرِ وَالْمَرَضِ وَغَيْرِ ذَلِكَ شيخ الإسلام says there is a difference between prayer and fasting reasons that allow you to miss the prayer if one of those reasons applies to you and therefore you miss the prayer, then typically you are not required to have to make up those prayers again. Whereas reasons that allow you to miss fasting, typically afterward you are expected to make them up. Clearest example, the woman on the period. A period, a woman on the period... She is not, it is an excuse, it is a, a reasoning to not pray and to not fast. But afterwards, she is not required to have to make up the prayers, but she is required to make up the fasts. لِأَنَّمَا أَسْقَطَ أَدَاءَ الصَّلَاةِ فِي الْغَالِبِ فَإِنَّهُ يُسْقِطُ قَضَاءَهَا بِخِلَافِ السَّوْمِ فَإِنَّهُ يُقْضَى مَعَ الْحَيْضِ وَالسَّفَرِ وَالْمَرَضِ وَغَيْرِ ذَلِكَ وَإِنْ لَمْ يَجِبْ الْأَدَاءِ مَعَ هَذِهِ الْأَسْبَابِ وَلِأَنَّ إِيجَابِ الْقَضَاءِ عَلَيْهِ لَا مَشَقَّةَ فِيهِ هُنَا بِخِلَافِ إِيجَابِ قَضَاءِ الصَّلَاةِ It's going into the discussion about the prayer and the fasting and which one you have to make up and which one you don't. But that's going to go beyond what we have time for. He mentions the hadith as the evidence. رُفِعَ الْقَلَمُ عَنِ الْمَجْنُونَ حَتَّى يَفِيقُ That the pen is raised from the one who loses his mental faculties, doesn't have them until he regains them. Then, فَأَمَّا مَنْ زَالَ عَقْلُهُ بِغَيْرِ جُنُونَ مِنْ إِغْمَاءٍ أَوْ غَيْرِهِ فَإِنَّهُ يَجِبُ عَلَيْهِ السَّوْمِ بِغَيْرِ خِلَافِ فِي الْمَذْهَبِ The person who falls unconscious is not like the one who doesn't have his mental faculties. He, the one who falls unconscious, when he regains consciousness, must make up the fasting. وَيَصِحُّ صَوْمُهُ إِذَا نَوَاهُ فِي وَقْتٍ تَصِحُّ فِيهِ النِّيَّةِ We can't read this part. If you read this part, then your answer will come. فَأَمَّا إِنْ أُغْمِيَ عَلَيْهِ جَمِيعَ النَّهَارِ لَمْ يَصِحْ صَوْمُهُ If a person is unconscious the whole of the day, something happens, he falls unconscious overnight, doesn't regain consciousness till after Maghrib, then obviously all of that day is gone, he's going to have to... Make it up afterwards. 
بأن أنه لا يجب على الصبي حتى يبلغ a child before the age of puberty it's not obligatory upon them until they reach the age of puberty the question is what is the age of puberty علامات البلوغ ما هي علامات البلوغ everybody knows the question is, what's, how do you know when somebody has reached the age of puberty? The fuqaha, they mention, there are certain signs when a person recognizes that puberty has arisen. So from those signs are the growth of pubic hair. That is a sign of puberty. Scholars mention this in the books of fiqh. Also, the voice changing is not mentioned particularly as a uh, sign of puberty as such. But the, uh, the growth of the, the pubic hair is mentioned as a sign of puberty. The release of seminal fluid is mentioned if a person has wet dreams and the release of seminal fluid in that way indicates the person is now of an age of puberty. That would not happen to a child. Or the age of, imagine none of those things happen, no growth of the hair, no release of seminal fluid, nothing. If he reaches the age of 15, if a person has not had any of the signs of puberty, but they get to the age of 15, then the rulings apply to them now, even if none of the signs of puberty have occurred yet. And there's one more sign as well. Mensus periods for the female in the books of fiqh they mention it as a different thing actually periods you're right puberty but there's another thing they mention which is more comprehensive they say they say if a girl becomes pregnant then that indicates puberty because that indicates internally the organs and everything are now ready before all of that is ready a girl would not be able to fall pregnant so the fact that a girl can fall pregnant indicates she's reached the age of puberty even if none of the other signs have occurred yet so if she falls pregnant even before she's had a period yet for example, they mention it in the books of fiqh, it would be considered bulugh. She has reached the age of puberty. So those are all signs of the age of puberty. Here it says, it is not obligatory upon a person to have to fast before the age of puberty. However, what do the scholars say regarding the children? Even though it's not obligatory for the children to have to fast before the age of puberty, then still from the salaf and their, their methodology, their practice is that they would allow their children and give them practice in fasting. And so the scholars basically say when a child is capable, even before the age of puberty, if they are capable, then let them practice and encourage them to practice fasting. If they have the ability to do so. You don't make a young child fast the 18 hours if they don't have the ability to do so. 
But if a child, a young child before the age of puberty can do it, then let them do it. The Salaf, they mention examples, or it's mentioned of them, that their children used to fast, uh, and uh, when it got close to Asr time, obviously now they haven't eaten all day, comes to near Asr time, they would be very hungry now, and they would begin to cry. But the Salaf recognized that their children were capable, and so they used to, it's mentioned, I think in Bukhari, one of the narrations, that they would give them some toys and things and preoccupy their minds and next thing you know, Maghrib has come and they've managed it, they were capable and so the Salaf used to train them up in this way give them that practice in this way so children who are able, then it's good that they get some practice in those who are able those who can't do it, then of course you don't force the children to try and fast especially these long days now, if they don't have the ability that's the toys these days. The toys these days are the iPads and everything else. You give them a halas, they do 18 hours as well. Huh? Five-year-old, six-year-old, no problem. Ah. So we're going to leave it off on that point today. Any questions, anything else to add? Learning difficulties in of itself isn't considered as having uh, no mental faculties. Learning difficulties, a person is aware and understands. Learning difficulties are different levels. A person who has learning difficulties isn't necessarily considered a person who has no mental faculties. A person not having mental faculties the, the, those in the medical field will be able to explain better, but perhaps when they say this person is 30 years old, but he has the mind of a five-year-old, that type of thing, then that's what they mean by he doesn't have mental faculties. He's an adult. No, autistic and those types of things isn't considered mental, mentally uh, uh, incapable with your faculties. Somebody's autistic has their abilities. And, and there may be different levels. There are different levels of these illnesses and different levels of learning abilities. But really, when it comes to this topic of not having mental faculties, you're talking about when they say this person is 40 years old now, but his mental age is only seven. His mental age is only six. But he doesn't have any mental faculties. He doesn't understand what to do, how to do. He needs help with everything. You hear the stories of adults in their 30s, 40s, and they still have to give them the nappies and those things. And that's mental faculties not being there. That's what's meant by that. Not just somebody who has learning difficulties or other uh, difficulties like that, but they have awareness, they have understanding, they know what they're doing. They're not in this kind of state where somebody is still having to wear nappies and have to be looked after when they're 30, 40 years old. That's no mental faculties. Not just somebody with a bit of learning disabilities or anything like that. Somebody is traveling, so uh, overnight for example they were traveling, at the Fajr time they were traveling, so obviously they didn't fast that day, they were still traveling, imagine they're on a flight, overnight flight, and the flight gets back at 11 a.m. to Manchester airport, so at, six, or at 4 a.m., 3 a.m., 
they were in the middle of the sky on their flight, they were a musafir, traveler. So they didn't fast. 11 o'clock now, they get back to Manchester, they're at home. They are no longer a musafir. So what's the ruling now? Do they have to fast for the rest of the day or not? Next day? Not 11 p.m. 11 a.m. Huh? <laughs> but now... Huh? 11 a.m. He could, he could, he could but he had the breakfast on the aeroplane. He had all that. What time he had it? At 7 a.m., 8 a.m. He's been eating during the day of Ramadan. But, but, but when, you, when, when, when at 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, he was on his flight. He was a musafir. He had their food, he had their snacks, he had their breakfast at 8 a.m. 11 o'clock he landed back. So he's been eating during the day of Ramadan so far because he was a traveler. But now he's got back to Manchester, he is no longer a traveler. So upon what reasoning from the reasons we mentioned, which rukhsa does he have now? He no longer has the rukhsa of a traveler. He's not a traveler anymore. So is he allowed to carry on not fasting for the rest of the day? Or does he have to fast for the rest of the day? Not fast? For which rukhsa? Why is he allowed to not fast for the rest of the day? Is he musafir now? Finished. So why is he not fasting now? No, no, but look, in this example, he ate. He was eating at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock on the airplane. 11 o'clock he landed. He's been eating today. Now he's home. He's not Musafir. What's the ruling for the rest of the day? I think he's fasting. Done. So the rest of the day doesn't count. Now he doesn't fast. But over there, opinion is that he fasts because now he has no rukhsa left. His rukhsa was a suffer, traveling. That is finished. His permission is gone, expired. So now for the rest of the day, he should be fasting. And that is the two opinions of the scholars. Yeah, so some scholars say, if he fasts for the rest of the day now, he fasts for the rest of the day because his rukhsa is gone. At the end of Ramadan, he's going to have to Make up this day still, because in the morning he was a traveler, he didn't fast. He's still going to make up this day. It doesn't count the rest of the day. So they say, Khalas, he doesn't have to fast for the rest of the day. It counts for nothing. Others, they say his rukhsa is gone. So for what reason is he not fasting now? He should fast the rest of the day, and he's still going to have to make it up afterwards too though. Same with the, the woman who's on a period. If a woman is on the period and her period finishes in the middle of the day, in Ramadan, middle of the day, Dhuhr time, a period finishes, she has the ghusl, everything clean. Rest of the day now, her rukhsa is gone. Does she fast or not? Same thing, two opinions. Some scholars say, there's no reason for her to fast now. That day does not count. It's gone. She became pure at Dhuhr time. So even if she fasts, she's going to make up that day afterwards. So they say she doesn't have to. The other scholars say, but why not? She has no rukhsa left at all now to not be fasting. So she should fast the rest of the day and then make it up as well afterwards anyway too. Difference of opinion on that. She always accordingly time of fasting always. Doesn't matter you are traveling or mm. she's on a period or not period. If let's say for example she the period finished two o'clock in the morning and then she stopped eating at four o'clock. So then that's fine. 
for her, so she puts her first, it's not a problem. But if she's, as I said to you, to me now, to No, no, but the period finishes at Dhuhr. Yeah, that's, no, that day is finished. Oh, so that's one opinion. That's what it is. Up. That's one opinion that the day is all gone. The other is yeah. after she becomes pure, she should fast the rest of the day because she has no reason not to be fasting now. That's just a difference between the scholars on that. Same thing, exactly the same the other way around. Same thing. If you get to your destination now, you're no longer a traveler, same thing applies. Some scholars will say you have no reason not to be fasting, fast the rest of the day. Others will say the day is gone, you're going to make it up anyway, it doesn't count. You don't have to fast up until that uh, Maghrib of that day. Oh, that depends on that. That's uh, the whole issue of traveling. How much you consider the issue of traveling and what traveling is. Some scholars say four days. If you're going to go to a place for more than four days, you're going abroad and you're going to be there for a week, seven days. The day you travel abroad, the train, the plane and everything, that day you are in the physical act of traveling, you don't have to fast. The day you travel back, you're in the physical act of traveling, you don't have to fast. Seven days you're going to be resident there, which is more than the four days that many scholars mention, therefore you should fast, according to that opinion. But that's the issue of traveling. There's many discussions about traveling. Some scholars will say, as long as you are a traveler, seven days, ten days, you're traveling. You don't have to fast. You can come back and make those afterwards, but that's another topic. No, we will, inshallah. The pregnancy issues and all those will do them later, inshallah. But it says three days, not four days from my understanding. For what? In terms of traveling. No, this is different. Some scholars, there's no limit. I've been, so from my understanding, from my, what I learned, it's like three days. No, that's an, maybe an opinion of three days, but the Prophet was in Mecca for how many days? 10, 14, 18 different narrations, and he was considered a traveler all those days. Some narrations, it talks about four days. Many of the scholars, Sheikh Fawzan, say four days. Others, they say more. That's a much different about issue of how long you can consider yourself a traveler when you're traveling. This is the same when you, when you pray. Like when you go, for example, it says 100 kilometers. It says after, what do you call it? If you ask three days, I'm lucky, you, know, you could put two salads like Ah, the, okay, that narration about the three days of Thalatha Dayyam and Layali. This is about the distance of traveling. Maybe, that's an opinion. But traveling has the different opinions about how long you can do it. Last question, go on. No problem. If a person has, is ill right now, for example, somebody is ill and the doctors tell him your course of treatment is a 12-month course of treatment. So that means he's going to miss this Ramadan and he's going to end up missing next Ramadan. He gets ill right at the beginning of this Ramadan. 12 months, 13 months, 14 months, they tell him you're going to be on this. That's how long it normally takes. Then you'll be good. So it's expected he will recover. It's going to take a year and a bit, but he will recover. So when he does recover, he's going to have to end up making up two Ramadans. Go on.
No, a person who has a legitimate reason not to be fasting, then there's no sin. No, I understand, yeah. Any person, kafir or Muslim, somebody who legitimately has an Islamic reasoning not to be fasting, including a kafir, for example, he has a terminal or, or some chronic illness, he wouldn't be able to fast anyway if he was Muslim. But then he would have other rulings upon him still. Feeding the poor people. Is he going to feed the poor people when you tell him, I'll, I'll, I'll serve you? So there's still issues. There's still issues that are connected to it. So the best thing with that is you don't serve people during the day of Ramadan. Of course, close to the time of iftar, everybody's taking food, etc. But breakfast, lunch, those things, you should not be serving people from cafes and takeaways and things. We'll have to round off there. It's going to be a done now. We'll carry on next week, inshallah ta'ala, after... Uh, actually, Maghrib next week is going to be... What time is it? Iqama. I mean, uh, Adhan. No, you can't. But if you're ill all the way, or if you've been pregnant and breastfeeding all the way, then you can. Otherwise, you can't. It's a sin. You have to make it up before next year. That time, if you cannot do it, No, no. If you're going to recover, your Even if, if you expect it to recover. No, no, no, within two, it doesn't matter really. I mean, these, you may have heard some opinions, maybe they mention opinions. But overall, if you're expected to recover, when you recover, you make up. 8.17, so uh, it's going to have to be afterwards still. After Maghrib next week, inshallah.